Coming up, the Brooklyn Nets keep finding new ways to deliver heartbreak to the fan base, this time at home, in overtime, losing to Miami. We break down not only the loss, but the critical late-game sequence that falls squarely on Jock Vaughn's head. We dive in next. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, yes, my friends, it is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. He's Doug Norrie. I'm Adam Marbrecht. We thank you, as always, for making us your first listen of the day. We are 100% free on all those great platforms and let you know. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. And Doug, where we start is with a familiar theme. Brooklyn Nets losing, this time at home, this time in overtime, and this time 96-95. I mean, you'd think they could break a cool three-digit score here. Instead, more of the same for the Nets as we dive in. Lose on U.S. soil, go to Europe, lose there, come back home, lose again. Finding new and creative ways to lose, and this one was a real... We'll lose on every continent in 2024. (laughs) This we guarantee to you. This one was so bad. All right. I mean, where do you even start? I, well, I know where to start. Jack yep. one. Like, let's just go right to, let's skip right to the ending here yep. and talk about the the final sequence. The part. Okay. So I'm sure you were watching the game. Everyone out there. They do not challenge the foul call on DSJ, on Dennis Smith Jr., on Jimmy Butler, which I, with, with 11 seconds left, I was like, okay, I'm actually fine with that. This is a close call. You, mm-hmm. You're going to lose the timeout. You risk losing the timeout. You want to be have your head on straight for whatever happens next because they're whatever happens next, as long as they get the ball, they're gonna have a chance to win. Right. To go from not using the 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 challenge, which on a very close call, like it was probably a coin flip, right? Like something like a coin flip that they don't they don't get it. But to go from there into a helter-skelter play where they don't use the timeout, it just makes no sense. I, like there's no there's no defending it. It's it's a horrible logistical X's and O's move or just not even X's and O's. It's just, it's just, it's bad coaching. There's no other word for it. It's just a bad, it was a very bad moment to not use the timeout and then, excuse me, to not challenge and then to not use the timeout. It's might be his worst micro decision of the whole season. Like, I I don't actually know how you, I don't actually know how you get worse. It's, it's as bad as it gets. It's a swiping uh, foul call that ends up going against Dennis Smith Jr. And that and the swipe itself might have been clean. But as you're watching the replays, you see maybe he buys into him. Maybe his offhand is grabbing him a little bit just to give the kind of context of what was going on in that play. To your point, your options there are challenge the play. And while they're reviewing the challenge, set up the play that you want to use on the inbounds, right? Have a clear identity of what you want to do and how you want to accomplish it. And then on top of which, so you don't do that, to inbound the ball and maybe you're thinking we're going to go ahead and just get Mikhail Bridges going down, down, you know, down court, have it at pace. Uh, Don't let Miami set up. No, no, by the way. And by the way, hold on. Cause I'm not, I'm not describing this to say this is a logical option you had, but even if that was the wrong way that Jock Vaughn was thinking about this, you still at any point could have done something different when you get into across half court. It's 11.8 seconds. They had no idea what they were going to be doing. 
their inbounds plays out of timeouts for Mikhail Bridges specifically when they go on the offensive end, they are actually pretty darn good at getting him his elbow jumpers, getting him into the little mid-range game. Instead, you have nothing planned, no strategy, and you don't make any decisions thereafter. It, it, it was it was absolutely brutal and goes to your point. It goes down as easily, I think, the worst micro moment here for Jock Vaughn in what has been oh. a tumultuous season for him. I, I wasn't interrupting you, by the way. I was just like, I was flabber. I was getting myself all flabbergasted again yeah. by how bad it was. It, yeah. It's so, you can advance the ball in the timeout, right? Like, you can draw up a play. He made yeah. the shot. It's the other thing to you. He made the shot, right? It was, it was, it was, a, it was a make, yes. right? Yeah, I, yeah, 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 sorry. I'm getting, so, not even, hey, rebound, let's go before they can remotely get set. Sorry, I should just know that, him. but I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm like blacked out with like, with <laughs> anger here. Uh, like, so, but... <laughs> So they so you're not even getting them in a helter skelter scram situation where like it's off a miss and now you're yeah. cross match and all this stuff. They everyone's just getting back on defense. They're pressing you. They're pressing off the inbound because the Nets like are you know sort of down ball handlers, and like that's the other thing too. It's like it's not like they have some like high powered guard situation with like a floor manager where, where you can get the ball up and really kind of like it's not like a James Harden situation where it's like. I mean, I'm using old friend Harden or, or even like Kyrie or guys that are like excellent getting the ball up the court. They don't even have that either. So you're like putting yourself at crazy risk by not calling a timeout because like Mikhail Bridges who struggle with his handle, like you have Dennis Smith Jr. Like these are the Cam Thomas. Like these are the guards you have on the court and they're all fine, but they're not elite ball handlers. Yeah. And so now you're just like, you're putting yourself in the worst possible position. And they've done this a few times where they've let it sort of play, you know, like play out over the over the uh without calling a timeout and there's been i think there are times to do that by the way like i think there are times where it's like hey everything's kind of jumbled you know the ping pong balls are flying everywhere right, this is right. a good chance but this just wasn't even that spot it's just so bad man and i and we're i think if you listen to our podcast a lot and i you know I, there's a lot of people out here on youtube and and people listen on the podcast feed like, you know that we actually probably don't get into crazy micro decisions too much because I th tend to think that sometimes like the microscope gets drilled down a little too far, right? Like it gets pushed down a little too far and then you kind of miss the forest for the trees. I'm using, I'm, I'm all even screwing up my analogies here. But this case, it actually was so egregious and points to probably something that fans out there are already having problems with, which is like, it just doesn't seem like there's anyone really has a good hold on the steering wheel as a, as a, as a team or an organization. Like they don't seem to know what lineups they want to run. The lineups switch around the closing units kind of, you know, the closing unit comes with two minutes to go. There's no seeming plan to what happens at the end of this game. And so if we spend the first five to 10 minutes here talking about one play, which is really, again, not something that we do a lot. It, it highlights a growing frustration that it seems like, this is a directionless kind of situation. And if one set of plays can really highlight an organizational problem, it was yeah. it was those last 11 seconds yep. or, or like the last 11 seconds were just it was just absolutely brutal. Yeah. And, and in a game, obviously, we'll get into some of the other sequences. We're going to talk about Cam Thomas here. We're going to talk about rotations, things that are even if being a little bit behind the times changing for Brooklyn underneath Jock Vaughn. This is just <laughs> It's about as bad as you can have a game like this finish, given that it all felt like it was very much in front of you. We'll continue this discussion here, turning our attention over to Cam Thomas in just one moment. All right. 
This episode is brought to you by Better Health. Like right at Better Help right now. It's around the New Year's. You are trying to think about ways to change yourself. Um, maybe like just expanding on what you're already doing right, like not making wholesale changes, figuring out the things in your life that you're doing really well and just kind of improving on those. Maybe you've organized one part of your space. You want to tackle another. Uh, you take it supplements every morning. You want to eat breakfast too. This is where BetterHelp really jumps in and can just be the thing that boosts you, that, that makes it so that you're getting your life on track and you're focusing on the things that you already do well and just dialing them in even more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient. It's flexible. It's totally suited to your schedule. All you got to do is fill out a brief questionnaire. You get matched with a licensed therapist. You switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit betterhelp.com slash locked on MBA today to get 10% off of your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash locked on MBA. And when we're done with that, go visit our friends over at FanDuel. The NFL regular season's wrapped up. We're in the playoffs, baby, but that's okay. We're still time to get on in the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. We've been telling you about this forever. You have to jump on this deal with new customers over on FanDuel. Get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place just a $5 bet. It's $150 in bonus bets. That and that $5 bet, win or lose, doesn't really matter what happens with that $5 bet. You're getting the $150 in bonus bets. Use them on live game, same game parlays. You can find bets in the Explore tab. You can uh, make a parlay in the Parlay Hub. It's all there for you all over on FanDuel. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. So as we provide you here on the Locked On Nets podcast with a post-game coverage for the Brooklyn Nets losing in overtime 96-95, I do want to talk about that closing sequence even one more time for another reason why they could have done something differently there. But before we do that, Doug, let's just have a little chuckle here. It's an overtime game, 96-95. to I mean, th this was also, from a high level, started brutally. <laughs> Miami couldn't hit anything. Neither could Brooklyn. You try to say, oh, well, they're playing some really good defense here. That turns over in the second half. The Nets can't find anything. Shooters are missing everywhere. I I'm going real broad stroke here. But by the time you find some guys like Royce O'Neal, who comes in and gives you some impact plays, by the time you see Jock Vaughn make some of these changes and get the lineups, the rotations, it's just it all ends up kind of when it gets down to that last sequence. Feels like, yeah, that's how it's supposed to go. Because there, you could actually point to a dozen other moments in this game that were really frustrating, that were head-scratching, that were hard pills to swallow because we've been talking about these narratives with this team for the last month and a half, two months. Oh, the Nets set the uh, franchise record for missed three-pointers. Uh, that's per Nets yeah, PR, no record by if the you're way. not taking shots, baby. Yeah, yeah, can't, <laughs> you miss all the shots you don't take. Uh, like, they just could not make any threes. Uh, to, to have two teams get to overtime in the modern NBA – and neither hits triple digits is like total. It's impossible. It's, frankly, it's kind of impossible. I, like it's, it just never happens that these days one, because you just can't, it's just too easy to score <laughs> Like in the modern NBA offenses are just being shot out of cannons at this point. So to, for both teams to not, uh, to not hit a hundred points with an extra five minutes is crazy. A testament to just how many threes they both missed 12 for 55 for the nets for three, uh, eight, for 31, <laughs> for Miami, it was a total, it was a rock fights, rock fight. No one can make anything. I, and, and Miami struggles to hit from three. And then it's did actually make some defensive changes here, which we can talk mm -hmm. about, but that their struggles from three kept them in the game, but the net struggles from three kept Miami in the game. <laughs> like it was just, it was one of those things where neither team wanted to make any shots. But if you are going to set a franchise record 
for most missed three pointers in a game, you'd be hard pressed to find a game that 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 was a game that you won, <laughs> right? Like it's just it's just not it's just those two things aren't really going to coincide. One of the rare occasions where you know whoever shot less three point attempts was actually in a better position to win the basketball <laughs> game in this instance, right? You said thirty one for Miami, it's fifty five for Brooklyn, but only twenty one point eight percent. Like it's like no. Don't take any threes. Drive to the basket, whatever you need to do. One of the things that I did, I mentioned there about the final sequence, and I think this does just lead into adjustments that were made here when we talk about the rotations. We don't, we still don't get the starting lineup that we want, but we're, we're getting better. We're progressing in the right direction. By 2026, I think Jacques Vaughn will really have this thing sorted out. In that final sequence, I could also make a strong case that inbounding the ball to Cam Thomas, if that's what your plan is, you know, I'm putting plan here. If you're not, if you're not watching on YouTube in massive air quotes, if that's what your plan was to just kind of get it inbounds and let it play itself out. Well, I'm going to give it to the guy that is the only player, arguably on your team that can drive at the basket, contort his body midair and get a shot off. Also a guy that can hoist from well beyond the arc here, right? Like Mikhail Bridges, it's not even a knock on him, but we've watched him play this season. We know. He is not a great ball handler. And you saw the sequence play itself out as he got across half court. He was met by a first defender. Then a second defender flashed. He had to do a wide curl just to get himself into any type of position to take a shot. And it was an ugly one at best. So even beyond there not being a real play design here, I'd much rather finally deciding to put Cam Thomas in for closing sequences in these games than give him the ball. Give the young kid that that is supposed to be potentially the future of the core of this team, why don't you give him a chance for a clutch bucket? He missed some in this game. We know that. But you're only going to get better if you keep getting opportunities. Like, even that is also bothering me down the back end. And Doug's going to pop back in here real quick. He's got it. Just muting something else. That's how you do it. And that's how you do it on the live podcast. Um, no, so he, they, I thought, you know, they gave the chance to the three that he, where he, I know and it was uh, bad, yeah. where he's got past Hero and Caleb Martin screwed up on the switch. Um, and like, and he was able to get the three. And then, you know, they drew one up for Mikhail. I don't have huge problems with that. I was just, I mean, I was kind of just glad that they got Cam into the closing lineup in general. Yeah. But in general, I think they're going to have, I, I think having two guys that you could go to in those spots that you feel probably moderately comfortable with is probably fine. So mm. I can't, I don't think I can critique that that much. And I think that overall, you know, I guess we could just talk, you know, do this cam thomas the fact that he was even in the closing lineup was something that didn't look like it was going to be happening until about two and a half minutes left was when they brought him back in the yeah. nets changed up rotations here um and again signaling to me that they don't really have a plan like he came in so late he came in with they're really struggling to score it was a dsj mikhail was like basically the backcourt plus like royce Cameron johnson and nick Claxton. like that was the the unit they had on the court they could not generate any offense with that group they were down three uh, for like, you know, two minutes. Now, luckily, the, the, the defense in that group was able to like sort of keep them in the game, but they just couldn't get a single shot. They do bring they Cam Thomas Johnson as well. They go away from Cameron Johnson there. It ends up. Being oh, he swaps. He swaps Cam Thomas in for, for Cameron, for Cameron Johnson. The correct move at that point to get a little juice. Right. And, and it, it works. Right. Cam Thomas gets himself to the line. He gets up some shots like he does the things that you need in those closing sequences. Like you need a guy to draw contact. You need a guy to get to the line. You need a guy that can hit buckets. But the fact that it came in so late, one signal me that it's like sort of like begrudgingly makes the move, like doesn't really want to do it. And because it's just so late in a sequence to, to have it come in, they end up closing with it and they end up going to overtime with it. And so I guess like credit there for doing it, but it just, again, going back to the beginning signals a, a, a team that doesn't really know if they're coming or going with certain players and what combinations they want to run.
And that's why, you know, one thing I'll say, it's not begrudging. It's it, they don't know. They they don't know what the right no, thing is, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? And Spencer Dinwiddie has now been buried on the bench, right? Because they thought maybe that was the answer. And early in the season, it looked like it was your best option. Then you think, well, you know, with contract, we brought in the twins. We have Cameron Johnson. Then you then you seen your sample size keeps growing. This guy is not going to be a clutch bucket getter for you when you need him in crunch time. And as we've also learned defensively, these guys are not 1v1 stoppers. Their versatility is nice, but it doesn't represent the same type of value of, hey, go out there and get a critical stop here. To, to rewind it back just for a second here to the top of this game, when it finally came into bringing in guys off the bench, it was Dennis Smith Jr. and it was Cam Thomas. And that backcourt together, that's what got the, the Nets kind of going here, right? They hung yes. their hat on some of the defensive value, missed shots for Miami. But that was the combination that really sparked things. So to your point, this is also another in-game thing for Jock Vaughn. You saw in real time at the end of the first quarter what happened when you brought in those two players. So even though you're giving up size, even though you're not sure, what are the other three player combinations we're going to go with? It's going to be Claxton. It's going to be McHale. Dorian Finney-Smith ends up not being a part of that. It's Royce O'Neal because he's having a good game. Fine. You're playing a smaller lineup. But give me the last five minutes of the game. The fact that, to your point, it takes until after you're at the 230 mark to get to what, at least in even just this one game, look like the right combination of players to give you a chance to win, it always feels like you're hoping something happens that takes the hard decision out of your hands. If you're Jock Vaughn, yeah, that's a good call. Right? That's a great way to put it. You're you're hoping that like it's just just good enough so you can go back to the thing that you want to do, right? Which but Johnson is like, go hits back. a three and you go, oh, there you go. He got one late yeah. in the game. We can and keep look, him in. And like and if he, he does, Johnson didn't do him any favors. He missed every shot. Like he missed every single shot and it, and he's, and maybe like, you know, you shoot those a hundred times and the guy's a 40% shoot three point shooter for his career. Like a bunch of them should go down. So like, maybe it is correct. And he, and that's actually why we typically, I, I, you know, going back to, I'm getting away from a lot of like sort of core tenants of like sort of what we don't do on the podcast, which is like, I'm not even for riding hot hand stuff. I, I'm all for like, Hey, sometimes guys have, Sometimes guys are having good games, but it's usually within the confines if you understand how your team is made, right? Like right, right. a good example of this is like you go across, watch the Cleveland game tonight. Sam Merrill is like four for six, can't miss from three. He comes out because it's part of his rotation. It doesn't like he doesn't keep playing because he keeps shooting because he's shooting threes. He's right. out at 20 minutes because they're going to close with the closing group that they've established as, as the group. I'm using it as an example because I, I'm all for staying within the confines of the rotations that you've kind of established. The Nets haven't done that. They don't know. Like, they don't know where they're going, if they're coming or going in this. So you don't know who to play. So it's like, oh, Cameron Johnson can't make threes. Okay, well, it's two minutes left. Get Cam Thomas back in there and see if we can win. It almost works. Probably should have. They screwed up at the end. But it's like, it's again, it's this helter-skelter. No, no one knows what their roles are. Dinwiddie's buried. We'll talk about him in a second too. So, but it's like, it's just this whole feeling of, I don't know. <laughs> so hopefully it works. Right. Well, <laughs> and, and, by the way, and that's just like been a theme. And by the way, this is something that you often reference and we use on the show a lot. Good process, bad result. Don't be dissuaded yes. from the process, right? Keep going back to the process because it works, but no process then you don't know how to how, how to judge the results as you reference, right? When you have rotations and they're designated and you understand what people and players are supposed to be doing situationally, then you always go back to that well because you believe the law of averages gets you across the finish line. You don't have the law of averages right now or all the averages you have tell you that you're a bad basketball team. Coming up here in a second, let's talk about Spencer Dinwiddie, his current standing on this roster. And if it tells us anything, 
anything at all about what this organization plans to do as they move towards and beyond the trade deadline. We'll do that in just one second. All right, before we get to that, I'll tell you about my friends over at Jace Medical. Look, we come to uh, sports to escape from some of the crazy realities of real life. Now, let's just talk for a minute about preparing for real life. There's a ton of stuff going on out there. You don't want to be caught unprepared. According to the FDA, pharmacies have been running out of antibiotics like amoxicillin in the middle of this flu season. One of the worst ones in over a decade. It can be really, really scary. I uh, can't imagine and have imagined being a more helpless feeling than if me or one of my kids um, just get sick while the supply chain issues are kind of screwing all this stuff up. They need the life-saving medication. Thankfully, we're all going to be okay. This is Jace Medical, my friends. The Jace case is a pack of five different antibiotics to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses, including UTIs, respiratory infection, infections, skin infections, among other things. Look, this stuff could happen to any of us. Visit jacemedical.com. Complete your physician encounter to be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medications will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. That's all good news across the board. It's never been more important to be prepared than today. Go to jacemedical.com. Use the offer code LOCKEDON to get $20 off your order. jacemedical.com. Offer code LOCKEDON to get $20 off your order. jacemedical.com. All right, so as we continue our wrap-up show, the post-game 96-95 overtime loss for the Brooklyn Nets at home against the Miami Heat, we remind you that Locked On has launched the first-ever national 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories all day long with the local experts of Locked On. Plus, our national shows are also covering every single major sports league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first-ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. Now, the other thing that happened here that we've, we've been kind of calling for, and you and I, as we've said, we advocated for Spencer Dinwiddie, by the way, based on results, being the guy that you had in the backcourt and someone, by law of, of, of what you have available, needed to be your starter in, in the backcourt. But that's shifted. Dennis Smith Jr. has come on. Also, Spencer Dinwiddie has run absolutely horrible from every angle of the court, and he's not a big defensive value either. So, Jock Vaughn at least has made that change. Are you... <laughs> What do you think that indicates? Well, have, I mean, sure. have they? I, they they make the change at the end of the games. Uh, like, I mean, well, I, we're not going to Doug, 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 Doug. Jock Vaughn's not going to do it like in totality. He's going to do it in a way that kind of throws off the rhythm of the team overall and makes it hard to trust yourself. And well, I think, I, look, we said before that I thought they were going to make a change two games ago, and now yeah. and I keep waiting for them to kind of win one of these ones to like mm -hmm. sort of like say, hey. The, the, this is what we're going to end up doing, right? Because, like, this has happened a couple times with DSJ where it's like sort of, you know, are they going to make a change? Dinwiddie's been – it's been horrible. I, I It looks – it looks worse – somehow almost looks worse than the, these box scores because if you go through his last six games, three points, two points, five points, 23 points, 11 points, zero points. Yeah. That is his last six games, I, and that's your starting point guard. And you're like, oh, no problem. He's getting assists, right? Okay, no, one three, five, four, five, five. It's like, there's just, it's, there's nothing happening here. There's no juice. It, it looks, the shots are short. Um, there's no offensive initiation. I, I, I'd be begging right now to like watch Dinwiddie complain to a ref about getting fouled, except he doesn't drive the rim anymore. So like, yeah. think about the last time, like think about the last time you, which drives us all nuts, by the way, right. When it's, when it's, you know, him, he raises the arm up and he wants to have a foul, but he, we have I haven't seen that in any games because he's not driving the rim. Like he's just not doing anything. And if he's not doing those th those things, he just can't be the starting point guard. I, like it just it, there's just there's no juice. And he looks it just I don't know what's going on here. 
Um, I don't know if there's like he wants out or he feels like he's going to be traded or it's just kind of not happening for him or like, I don't know, or it's just a blip. I, I, it could be any of those things, but man, I mean, they can't start him next game, right? Like I, I, I don't see, well, and it's twofold. I mean, first we don't do a lot of the speculation, but you know, there's been a lot of times when Spencer Dingham has commented about what the core of this team is, right. And the guys that are going to matter going forward, he, he leaves himself out of it. Like he leaves himself out of those conversations, almost knowing whether it's because the contract's expiring or because of his age, that he's not long for what the future of this team is going to look like. That being said, maybe, maybe there is some factor of that, that, Hey, after the deadline, some moves or decisions are going to get made here. You couple that with the fact that Dennis Smith Jr. in a game like tonight, 32 minutes. Now it's three of eight. It's one of four from beyond the arc. Only gets to the line twice, but five rebounds, five assists, four steals, right? A block in there, eight uh, eight points coming off the bench, plus 10 in the game yeah. as well. Like You can also just see that there's a better option now. Whether or not you knew it early on, a lot of new players coming in here, right? You're trying to figure out combinations. If you... If you wanted to tell me that Jock Vaughn was saying, well, we're leaning on what we know from last year because we do have to have some type of consistency. That's fine. But now we're beyond that, right? Now we're to the place where 30-plus minutes of Dennis Smith Jr. is clearly more valuable than Spencer Dinwiddie. And on top of which, if you want to get more Cam Thomas in the game, this was always the problem. Spencer Dinwiddie and right, Cam yes. Thomas can't play together. Well, here you go. Put Cam Thomas in the starting lineup as well because you have Dennis Smith Jr. in there now too. Yeah, and I wonder if this is the showcase because I, before the game, I tweeted out that to try a starting lineup of DSJ, Cam Thomas, um, DSJ, Cam Thomas, McHale, uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, and Claxton. Yeah, and actually, that was their first rotation. Like that was the group that they, it was the exact five guys because they those uh, Dennis Smith Jr. and Cam Thomas checked in together for Dinwiddie and Cam Johnson, mm-hmm. and that you know plus ten for DSJ, plus nine for Cam Thomas because they cut they can complement each other well. And yeah, look, do you lose some ball handling with Dennis Smith Jr. and like three point shooting? I, well, I mean, theor- theoretically, you do from D- uh, Dinwiddie. It's a massive defensive upgrade. And it's just one of those situations where it's just like you got to just probably have some more juice here. The Nets, the Nets, you know, you know, one of the core things too that they did tonight's game, which was really nice to see, and DSJ would help with this also. Um, if they wanted to do it, I mean, he can play, he can play drop or switch, but they switched a ton. They switched. They actually, they switched exclusively in the first yeah. half. They, I at halftime went back and just real quick watched like three quarters of their defensive possessions that were in non-transitions and they switched like every single action. And by yeah. the way, it totally worked. Like, like they generate a million turnovers. They, they averaged like something like 11.4 blocks plus steals for the game. They had 11 at halftime. They were generating a ton of steals, a ton of blocks. They were like these half steal blocks mostly because I think one, the heat were caught off guard. They didn't think they were going to do all that switching and they were just playing to the strength of their thing. DSJ helps with that. Also did what he was fine in that too, by the way, it was like mm-hmm. mostly an offensive problem, but I do think that I wonder if that showcase thing is like, they're just going to have to just make the change now because I actually don't know why you have a place. I hate the placeholder starting lineup. When you have another lineup, I've always hated when teams do this. Some teams would just like, they would start a random center. So I'm going forever here, but like, I just hate when teams do this. And that's what the, that's where the nets feel like they are now. It's like a placeholder starting lineup because like, these are the veterans and this is who we need to make feel good. And then it's like, other guys are going to end up playing more. And I just don't, I don't agree with that. Like they're not at a, they're not a point in a franchise where you need to like play someone because it has, it's a merit. It has to be a meritocracy. It can't be yes. a contract, a contract autocracy around like who yeah, gets yeah. to play. Not, not when you're not when you're this team, not when you're losing ev- no. nearly every game that you play at some point, there, there's no lineup that you could put out there that wouldn't be, that wouldn't at least be a, 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 on its surface go. Sure. Why not? Why not try that thing? And I, 
to I will close this out as we say live on YouTube. We'll stick around for a few minutes as we always like to do with all the faithful fans over there and appreciate you. I'll close out with the idea here, though, that I think this is all going to the same place. Like everything that's gone on over the start of this first half of the season and pushing towards this deadline. I think it's going to end up, whether or not this was fully the intended plan, it's going to end up with like Cam Thomas kind of being the guy that's going to be getting a lot of run here, developing him, DSJ. I think that Spencer Dinwiddie's probably going to be gone. Maybe during like a couple of these veterans are not going to be here. And I think it's just been a slow burn to it. And I think the process of getting there has been probably one of the worst paths you could have taken in terms of not mixing in more of the young guys sooner and more consistently. But I think it's all going to end up in the same place in the end. And we're probably not going to love what we see here over the short term because it's still going to be these ceremonial starting lineups and it's still going to be a lot of minutes for guys that probably don't deserve it. So it is what it is as the Nets again lose another game here this time to Miami at home. And right back at it, I, you know, I, I don't know what else expectations can be here because they they do not put together a complete game, whether it's the players on the court or the coaches behind the bench. All right, we're going to stick around here over in YouTube for a few extra minutes, uh, a little bit shorter than usual. So um, I know people are riled up here after the loss. We are too, but we've got some other uh, contractual stuff that we need to get to, but we will stick around for a few minutes. In the meantime, make sure you're subscribed to YouTube, Locked on Nets, pushing towards 7,000 subscribers. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you can get us in your ears every single day. Leave five stars uh, as a as a rating, too. If it's not five stars, don't bother, but make sure you get over there five stars. That helps boost it. It's totally free for you. It really helps us. I don't just want words, parentheses, Jock Vaughn. If that's all you have for me, you'd better go. And that is Frank Scott Fitzgerald. Oh, all-time great poets. RIP. We'll be back again tomorrow in a moment on YouTube talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball.